We're in number six of a series called Signs of Jesus out of the Gospel of John. We've been just walking through John, picking out the major signs or activities of Jesus for this reason, so that you and I might know better the Lord that we serve, what he's capable of, what he's able to do. Uh, Today you're going to begin to see clearly the heart of Jesus in regards to religious things, in regards to people's hurts and damages that happened on this planet Earth. And so uh, that's where we are, John chapter 9, and we're going to look at that passage. So if you get your Bibles ready, and I read this week that every 20 minutes in America, somebody loses their sight. Every 20 minutes, somebody just consistently goes blind with an inability to see. What a horrible experience that has to be. The only thing that I can think worse than that would be being born blind so that you never saw, you never saw your parents' face, you never saw the face of your child, you never saw the beauty of a tree or the, the, uh, an ocean. Losing sight is a very, very difficult, awful thing. In this passage we're looking at today, we're going to see a man that was born blind. Without, had never seen, had all he had known was darkness and touch and sound. But he had never been able to see anything with his eyes. So he was born that way. And we're going to look at how he lived in darkness until the Lord turned on lights for him. And so that's the passage we're looking at. This sign that we're looking at today is a miracle with a message. We're going to see once again where the Lord intervened in the brokenness of our humanity and he did a work of restoration, healing, darkness to light and in the midst of it there's going to be a very clear message I hope before we get through the end of it. The passage that we were looking at last week, if you'll remember it I'll not spend much time but he was just leaving that event and was walking out and on this journey away from that past event, he came across a man who was, he noticed him, was blind. He was figuring out, if you watch and you read in this passage, look at the Jesus motive. What was his motive when he saw the blind man? You're going to also notice that the disciples had a motive and you're going to decide, you're going to look at how the Pharisees had a motive, and all of them are different. Looking at the same situation, they all saw it differently. And I want you to pay attention to that when we get into the reading of it. See, with Jesus, he was trying to figure out, how do I alleviate this problem? Here's a man born blind. What can I do to alleviate that problem? But as we read, I want you to notice that what the disciples were looking at. They're trying to figure out who to blame for the problem. Jesus was trying to figure out how to fix it, how to alleviate it. The disciples were looking at who is to blame for it. And then a little bit later, we'll see how the Pharisees saw it as just uh, some kind of a thing that would threaten their preconceived idea of what it meant to be a uh, godly person. And if we stop and listen long enough, we might get to evaluate our own heart condition in relationship to the needs and the crises that are now rampant in our, in our world. I've got to confess to you, 
a little bit. I've, my heart has gotten a little hard. We have a homeless camp across 13 from us. We have people at every intersection, now pretty much all throughout Springfield, with signs and we need money, need food, and I find my heart getting hard to that. Can I be just honest with you? Just heart, my heart gets a little hard seeing that everywhere. Some of them able-bodied men standing there bugs me a little bit, you know, that kind of thing. But I had to think this week, Lord, am I more like the disciple? Am I more the one trying to figure out who's the blame for this? Rather than the Jesus eyes. I don't know. I was, I went one evening several years ago out with the undercover um, drug force team. And I remember driving by intersection out here and seeing guys in need are handing out. He said, don't, don't give in that environment. He said, because majority of that is used for addiction funds. So that stuck with me. That didn't help the softness of my heart any. It kind of helped harden it probably. Until I started looking at this passage and seeing how the Lord looked at situations and how the disciples looked at situations and then I had to start looking at my own heart. Have I gotten hard here um, living in this day that we're living in? So in John chapter 1, as this message steps all over my heart, it may step on yours as well. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Would you please stand with me as we honor God and his word? <clears throat> as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, formed from the spit in the mud uh, a salve or a pack of some kind, and placed that on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And my scripture has a translation here. It means he was sent. So the man went and washed and then came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, now isn't that the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Then how were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and to wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know him, he said. Father, I want to ask you to take this story and the rest of it that we'll be looking at today. Ask you, Lord, to not let it be another moment that um, scratches our itching ears, but I pray, Lord, that your truth will be so clear 
through the power of your spirit today that we will be changed. That we would be shaped to be much more like you. And so I ask you to add blessing to this word. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. And I'm going to ask you also to fulfill your promise to break, to take this word and teach it to each one of us individually. So apply it to our life, Lord, that we would never be the same. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. In that first verse, if you'll notice, Jesus passed by him, saw the man blind from birth, and the disciples asked him, Master, who, who sinned here, him or his parents? Evidently, the Israelites had picked up some teaching that the Egyptians had. <clears throat> the Egyptians, back when they were in bondage or in slavery, back in Egypt, the Egyptians had a almost similar to Hindu thought. That a man, if you lived a good life when you died, and you were a man of virtue and a man of character, that your spirit went into another body at death, and then that, then that next life would be better. But they also taught the opposite. That if you were not good, if you didn't do well on this, in this particular life, when you die, you're sent to another body that had a whole lot more difficulty in this world. So I don't know if the disciples were that image in their mind to have them think, Lord, did, is this blindness because of his previous life or because of his parents' sin? What is it? And it may have been more of the Old Testament concept that because throughout most of the Old Testament, it was very simple. You obey God, you live in blessing. You disobey God, and you come under judgment. I mean, we can pick out several stories that you'll be reminded of to, to know why that could become a very strong belief system. Adam and Eve, as a result of sin, remember what they did. The Bible tells us of God's instructions. If you will do this for me, you're going to be blessed. You're going to live in this land that I've prepared for you. We're going to walk face to face. You're gonna, we're going to have intimate relationship. And, but you cannot do this one thing, this forbidden fruit. Of course, they did the thing that they were not supposed to do. And at that moment, things broke. Everything broke. It says even the rocks and all of, all of the presence of the earth um, went into a time of destruction when they ate of that forbidden fruit. Their sin broke relationship of all humanity with God. That one act broke the relationship that God created us for, broke it for every person on the planet. Came when they were just tempted to sin and they gave in. We call it the original sin. So throughout the Old Testament, we see this cause and effect relationship between humans and God over and over. Humans sin. They defy, we defy God and his word and his will, his mandates, and then God punishes. That's the Old Testament, common, everybody knew it. So that may be why these disciples said, "Who? why is this guy blind? Did he sin and the result of judgment on him is blindness? Or is he living out the consequences of mom and dad sinning and you made him blind? So they're, they're asking these questions. Because it's based on, you know, Old Testament. You remember the ten plagues in Egypt? When, when the Pharaoh would not obey God's instructions to him, then the plagues came. So we get that 
that uh, cause and effect of an Old Testament thought. When the Israelites didn't trust God, and remember they built idols even on the journey out of bondage to the promised land. Remember at the foot of the mountain where they built an image? And because of that, many of them would, were not able to go into the promised land and had to spend those years in the desert. After they were uh, placed in the land, the Israelites were then exiled to Babylon. Why? God said, when you go into the land that I'm giving you, get rid of all of the idolatry worship that's in the land. If you know the story, if you read the Old Testament, they didn't. As a matter of fact, they would almost always be attracted and would get into some very ungodly worship. Now, they would try to balance it with Yahweh. They, would keep, they, were, they were fearful of Yahweh, but at the same time, they were worshiping all the, all the demonic idols of the land. And so they got banished, if you remember, to Babylon for 70 years. It was in the midst of these thoughts that the Lord showed up and said something, I think, that was probably eye-opening and a huge shock when he said it in John chapter 1, chapter 9, verse 1. He said these words, Neither this man is sinned, nor the sin of his parents, but that the work of God should be manifest in him. I don't think they'd ever heard this before. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. This was a, this brand new insight, and I have to think that they were standing back, eyes closed, scratching their head. Now, what did he just say? That God in his sovereignty allowed this man to be born into this world with a blindness so that his power on this particular day would intersect with that weakness, with that blindness, for one purpose, as a demonstration of the power of God and the heart of God. Interesting. This wasn't caused by sin. This was caused as an opportunity for God's kingdom to show himself strong on planet earth so that he could heal and that we would know that he could save so that there would be a testimony. It's honestly my favorite testimony of all scripture. We're going to read it today, what the, what the blind man said. It's my favorite because it's simple. It's not very theologically deep. and It's kind of like me. Please get it. Not all sickness and disease is a result of sin. A lot of it is. Don't get me wrong. A lot of it is. You know, if we're smoking most of our life and we wind up with lung cancer, well, we can't really blame that on a lot of other things. Or if alcohol has been the main port of our life and we die of some kind of liver problem, we can't really, you know what I'm saying? Some of our sin and our behavior, our immoralities will lead to sin. But not all sin, not all sickness or disease is a, is a consequence of sin. We see it right here. And I think it was a shocking revelation to them. Like we've talked about this morning, we right now live in America where the West, the Northwest is all on fire. I mean, it's burning, I don't know how many acres, millions of acres. 
uh, Texas is now underwater. Most of all of, the, of Houston and the surrounding towns are, have been destroyed, wiped out. And then we have Irma right at this moment, like a buzzsaw tearing up Florida from the tip going all the way up. And I don't know about you, I've, I've had questions, Lord, what's happening? Why are you doing this? My daughter even texted me a few times, Dad, what is happening? What do you think is happening? And do you think God's doing something or saying something? Is there a form of uh, a judgment coming? And I don't know about you, I feel like as a nation we're due. If any nation would be due judgment, I think we would. I think it's probably only because of the remnant that has remained that the Lord maybe hasn't, but you see so much of our nation moving toward darkness where we've even told ourselves it's all right to kill our babies if we don't want them. Do you understand how dark that has to be? And to turn the concept of um, man and wife, husband and wife as a foundation of of a family, and how now as a nation we've turned that into a Romans chapter 1 perversion. How we've come down so far in the perversion cycle that we're now saying anything's good. You can marry anybody, any relationship, uh, anything that's good or you see as good. That there is no standard, there's no law. Do you see what kind of darkness we're living in? And I'm not saying that just to get us all depressed. I'm saying that what's going on? Is God trying to get our attention? Is he calling the church to get out of our complacency and our self-focused pursuit of Christianity the way that I want it and how I want to design it? I don't know all that while it's happening, but I do. It does have my attention, and I think it does you, and it has many that are not have anything to do with Christianity are asking, what is going on? They're seeing stuff happening. But Jesus here reveals a whole new way to look at these situations. Verse 3, Jesus recalibrated their thinking. He said, all right, this is not because of their sin, mom and dad's sin, or his sin. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Instead of judging and blaming, as the disciples were wanting to do, and trying to find whose fault this is. It looks like Jesus is just saying, guys, I put this here so you can, I'm show you something. Simply look for ways to help so that the work of God will be displayed. Look for ways to help so that the word, work of God, may be displayed. As we read the rest of this chapter, there appears to be two different kinds of blindness. Look at it, uh, physical blindness and spiritual blindness. In the first six verses which we've read, it is the story of the healing when Jesus did this work and when he, Jesus spat on the ground. Do you understand, ever wonder why he did that? Why did the Lord spit on the ground, take some mud, shape it into, uh, worked it with his hands, and why did he use that method? Do you understand he could just simply have said, see, right? Because by his word, everything that was created was created. 
So why, have you ever wondered why he did that? I was looking at some of that today, and you know what the word for mud is? It's the same word for dough, bread. I'm wondering if Jesus may have been causing a little bit of trouble for the Pharisees that day. Because the Pharisees had 39 laws of what you could not do on the Sabbath. You know what one of them was? You cannot work bread. You can't knead dough. And I'm wondering if he just got some mud and he kneaded, took that mud and shaped it. Because he knew the Pharisees were going to throw a fit. This was Sabbath. You're not supposed to do these things. And so he did it anyway. Put it on the guy's eyes. That may not be the reason at all. But I have to wonder if he was not just a little bit of a troublemaker. And I kind of like that. Don't you? You see they were focusing upon the legal responsibilities. To be good enough to be accepted by God. And Jesus had, had nothing to do with it. He said, you need to find the simple need, let's meet and eat, and when we do, the glory of God is revealed. To me, out of this entire message, that's the message. I saw it after we got to spend some time at Bowerman this past week for some precious folks of this church family dealt with the feet of I don't know how many kids that went on forever. I want you to get this down. And then I want to show us some pictures of this. God's glory is revealed every time we get involved in meeting a human need. Catch that just a moment. God's glory is revealed every time, how big or how small, doesn't matter. Every time we get involved in meeting a need in the name of Christ. The glory of God is revealed. Like this blind man. He said the purpose of that need is so that the glory of God could be revealed. The power of God could be revealed in this need. And so instead of us sitting back and judging or condemning or finding reason, we simply need to be looking at small ways, big ways. They won't, they're not saying this much on television in, in Texas. That there are Christians from all over this nation who left home and are down there right now. They're not able to go to church possibly today, but they're pulling junk out of houses. They're giving food and water to those that are in crisis. They are finding a, a way to meet a need so that the glory of God can be revealed. They will not hardly ever say that that is the power of the church working. But I'll guarantee you 90% of that work that's being done in restoration is the believers across the nation. I believe that with my whole heart. That is revealing the glory of God in the midst of a crisis. This past week, let me show you a few pictures of what your church did over at, uh, uh, is it Bowerman? I don't know, honestly, I don't know how many kids were there. It just seemed like a long time. A lot of feet we handled. And this time, all we were doing was uh, just fitting their feet, getting the shoe sizes in place. And uh, isn't that awesome? And just helping the kids get ready. And then on the 25th, after we donate, we're about halfway there. So I don't know how, many, how much more we need. Anybody know? We need about 4000 more. $4,000. I don't even know. 26 times 75. That didn't help me at all. 
we need, we need quite a bit more to do that. But on, the, on September 25th, several of us are going to go over to that gym on that day, sit down on the floor and help those little guys have some new shoes. And what does that say? It's a little opportunity to meet a need so that the glory of God can be revealed. In the life of these kids, in the life of the teachers that see that, in the life of the parents that say, who in the world would do that? And why would they do that for my kids? Quickly, I want you to look at with me. Take your Bible because we're going to look at a few things here. I want to show you some evidences of spiritual blindness. Evidences of spiritual blindness. The first evidence is found in verse 13 through 16. It says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath law. What's the first evidence? Missing what God is doing. The first evidence of spiritual blindness you just don't even see when God's at work. Like the Pharisees. They saw the man healed. They were trying to uh, figure out why to, how to make him ineffective and not who he was. They just simply didn't even see that. The second evidence is this second part of verse 16. Others ask, how can a sinner do such mar- miraculous signs so they were divided? You know what the second sign that I see here of spiritual blindness? Always being caught up causing unnecessary controversy. Always involved in division and controversy is a sign of spiritual blindness. Third evidence, verse 17. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that got opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still didn't believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? And how is it that he can see? Now, we know he's our son, the parents said, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. The third sign that I see here, stubborn doubt in the face of God's work. Stubbornly doubting God by when you're actually seeing what he's doing. The fourth evidence of spiritual blindness, verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Here's the fourth evidence of spiritual blindness. Using the threat to maintain legalistic control. Using threat against people to maintain control. Fifth evidence of spiritual blindness, verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Here's the, second, the fifth evidence of spiritual blindness thinking that God can't use somebody that we see as lesser than us. Spiritual blindness makes us think that somebody that we, re- we evaluate as lesser than us can't be used of God. 
The sixth evidence of spiritual blindness. Verse 34. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you instruct us or lecture us? And then they threw him out. Thus was the Pharisees how they treated this man born blind. So the sixth evidence, spiritual pride turns to attack. Spiritual pride turns to where we attack uh, other people. Now I want to compare that spiritual blindness to when a person meets Jesus. Because spiritual blindness can look very and is very religious. It can be a very religious activity or behavior, but we can still be in our blindness. Now I want to show you the difference of what legalism does and what meeting Jesus does. It's really different. And I want to show you this real quickly here. The first evidence, uh, evidence of a personal encounter with Jesus, the first evidence of an encounter with Jesus is found in verse 25. I was blind, and now I can see. It's called testimony. I was blind. All I can tell you at this point, he didn't know who Jesus was. He had heard the name, and they had heard that he was a, a prophet, a man of God. But he said, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not, I don't know him personally. All I can tell you, I was blind. He did something to my eyes, and I can see. That is a personal testimony, and it changed his life. The second evidence of an encounter with Jesus is found in verse 26 through 27. Then they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. He's getting a little cocky here. Why do, you, why do you want to hear it again? Are you wanting to become his disciple? Well, that probably didn't go real well. He had an attitude though. I kind of like people with attitude. It says, second evidence of an encounter with Jesus is a boldness for Jesus in the face of opposition. When you've met him and he's done a work and you know it, nothing's going to slow you down to stand and believe and teach what he says. The third evidence, and get ready to close, is in verse 28 through 33. They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from, speaking of Jesus. <laughs> Again, the attitude. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. I love that. We know that God does not listen to sinners. This is the Pharisees. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. The third evidence is sharing Jesus boldly. The last thing I want you to look at today is the heart of Jesus. The Pharisees, we don't, when we say, hear what they did, and I'm about done, when I, we hear what he did, that they took this blind man and kicked him out, he, they kicked him out of the temple. He could no longer worship with his people. He could no longer be associated with his people. He was excommunicated. Now I want to show you real quickly before we close because this is important. 
I want you to see what Jesus did in verse 35 through the end, and we'll be done. Jesus heard they had thrown him out, and when he found him, would you mark that? He got kicked out, but when Jesus found him, Jesus went looking for him and found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus asked him. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I can believe. I want to believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. There's the difference. A religion based on law will turn you to blindness. A, re, a, rela- a relationship with Jesus that transforms your life will give you sight. And that's what he's saying here. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and ask, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Watch what happens when you meet Jesus and you were once blind and now you see. It doesn't result in a religious activity. It, re- it results in worship. When you, were, when you realize that you were caught in a place of sin, separated from God, and at that moment you died, you would have been separated from God for eternity in a place that was designed for Satan's punishment, hell, you would be separated. You, in your sin, you were broken and you, your spirit man was dead because of sin. And if you died in that condition, you would have been separated from him eternally. When you realize that, and then the Lord came and found you and drew, him, drew you to himself, the result is not when I sit back and I judge everybody. And you better do it my way or I'm taking my ball and going home. That, is, that spirit is not even a part. Just tell me who, who did this for me. And I believe, he said. Worship is the result. Preference doesn't matter. You know, we're in a church of all kinds of ages and we have preference, preference problems. I prefer this, I prefer that. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think Jesus has a preference about how you worship. All he wants is that if you were blind and you can see, to worship him. And that's the evidence of a changed heart. That's the evidence of a changed life. That's where I had to check my heart today. See, one of the goals that we have as a church is that we would have a place where it would become not worship until we get it the way we want. It is worshiped by whatever's happening. Because my, my worship is not based on, Becca put something I saw this week. My worship is not based upon you or the music or anything. My worship was I was blind and now I can see. I was blind and now I can see. So just point me to him because that's the one. That's the one I'm going to worship.